they were operating off like gmail.com and they mm-hmm. had, you know, four practices and they're just sharing documents across Gmail platforms. You know, they were careful not to share HIPAA information across those things, but that made communication super challenging. So I initially came on, you know, as operations to help with the case acceptance, closure, and, Mm -hmm. you know, operational performance. And uh, there were just so many gaps everywhere else that I did do that. And then I also started to work on the automated reporting is where I started. This is the Dental Marketer Podcast, where we teach you how to effectively market your dental practice. My name is Michael Arias, and my mission is to help you, the practice owner, to grow your practice, attract new patients immediately, and be seen as the go-to dental office in your community. Have you ever found yourself drowning in a sea of metrics and you're unsure of which ones truly matter? Well, today, we've got a seasoned expert who's here to help you navigate those turbulent waters. Our guest today is none other than Brad Billings, a powerhouse in the dental industry with a resume that reads like a playbook for success. It has sales, marketing, business development, operations management, and executive leadership. Brad has taken not one, but two dental practices from the ground up to 60 to 80 new patients per month. How did he achieve this? Well, by mastering the art of understanding the numbers that drive his practice and implementing systems that complement them. Now, Brad's going to drop some knowledge. He's going to demystify how to get your front office onboarding just right. And we're diving into the details from getting a grip on clinical and insurance basics to mastering your practice software. We're talking about honing those crucial phone skills and crafting impeccable financial arrangements. These are the building blocks of a front office that runs like a well-oiled machine. It's all about making your front office smooth and efficient. And Brad's also going to chat about empowering your team. It's not just about handing them a script. It's about giving them the reins to make decisions and take charge. And we've all had those oops moments, right? Oops with our teams. But Brad's going to share his thoughts on turning those into positive learning moments where everyone grows together. And here's a little gem for you. Brad's revealing his secret to practice success helping every team member find their own success. It's a killer strategy that's always boosted overall practice performance. It's fantastic, so look out for that. And finally, Brad's gonna spotlight the top four metrics that really boost your dental practice's profitability. These numbers are your ticket to the next level. And if you feel like you're caught in the relentless juggling act of managing a dental practice, like you're juggling insurance claims, online appointments, patient data, clinical notes, security, all this, and it's just overwhelming you, be prepared to discover the game-changing solution that could end this juggling act nightmare. Brad discovered it, and I'll tell you more about it after the interview too. But for now, let's talk with Brad Billings. Brad, how's it going? Good. Thanks for asking. Awesome, man. We appreciate you coming on. If you can, you kind of break it down to us. Tell us a little bit about your past, your present. How'd you get to where you are today? Oh, that's a that's an interesting one. So I actually worked at, at Verizon Wireless for a number of years, fifteen years, and made it to lower level executive status. Great leadership development program, and I had a ton of really good leaders. I think what was interesting there, and probably what I translate into dental, is 
they just had every metric you could think of, all the data that you'd ever want for any situation out of every store, every phone, everything. They just had all the data. And we used that to, you know, gauge and monitor performance. I was in the sales channel. That's kind of where I started, and I'll, I'll be brief on that one. And then I moved to uh, Pacific Dental Services, and that was my foray into dentistry. And it's probably good that I went to a company like Pacific Dental, specifically because I didn't know anything about dentistry. Mm-hmm. And they had a, a really good training program, which is obviously something that you need if you're going to if you're going to try to enter into a leadership role within the dental industry, you have to know what you're talking about. So pretty extensive training in a very successful region. And that kind of was my entrance into the dental world. And then the other thing about Pacific Dental is they also had an exorbitant amount of data. They worked out of a system called QSI. There might be a few people on the station that that know of QSI. It's really archaic. It was written in DOS and still running in DOS. You had to do manual um, command entries to get it to do anything. And and then they had an overlay. I forget what the overlay was called for the doctors to enter their clinical notes, charting and things like that. But the reason that they had such a hard time transitioning to anything modern was because of the amount of data that they were getting out of that. And that really was the foundation that I think helped kind of springboard me into success outside and into small DSO and, and starting up a private practice. It was kind of that foundation of understanding that metrics drive decisions. And and if you're just making guesses about what you should do within the business, you're oftentimes going to guess incorrectly without those metrics and data. Gotcha. And so right now, what are you doing? I guess there's more background in, in all of that. I, I left PDS for an opportunity to run a small DSO in Utah or to help run, I should say. So I got hired as the VP at Abundant Dental Care, a phenomenal DSO. I still have a great relationship with them. I entered into that relationship. They had about, I think they had four practices, so very small. They were doing about, probably about $500,000 a month. So a decent amount of money. They were like many small organizations that I saw they were running. They had a really good foundation. So they had like a really good team, really good processes, really good atmosphere. And this is kind of why I chose to go with them is because their foundation was so solid, really good clinical work. They had some of the best dentists out there with a really good clinical leader, which is stuff that I don't know. So I didn't want to try to tackle solving clinical gaps along with solving operational gaps. So that's why I kind of decided to go with them. And then they, this is going to be the most boring podcast you ever. (laughs) It was good. It's good, man. It's good. (laughs) Anyway, uh, they were operating off like, you know, sugarhousedentalcare at gmail.com. And they had, you know, four practices and they're just sharing documents across Gmail platforms. You know, they were careful not to share HIPAA information across those things, but that made communication super challenging. So I initially came on, you know, as operations to help with the case acceptance, closure and, Mm -hmm. you know, operational performance. And uh, there were just so many gaps everywhere else that I did do that. And then I also started to work on the automated reporting is where I started. They were doing these spreadsheets every night. It would take, you know, 45 minutes to an hour of office manager's time. They tracked a lot. They tracked everything. How do they track everything? They, they just did a spreadsheet and they would pull manual Dentrix reports. So they would, and I don't know if you've ever dealt with Dentrix at all, mm-hmm. but you say, create this report and then you can walk away. Like you can, yeah. you can go, go to the bathroom and eat dinner and then come back and it might be done. And you do that, but you had to do, you know, four or five different ones. And then you take all the data manually off of those and manually enter them in this spreadsheet. They had four different spreadsheets, which was also really weird. Four different spreadsheets. And then 
they had another operator that would grab from those four different spreadsheets that were filled out by office managers and manually enter them into this master spreadsheet that the owner would look at in the morning and decide what our day was like the previous day and try to take action depending on that, right? As far as execution is concerned, like they did a pretty good job with what they were doing. Like they always filled that out. They always, you know what I mean? There's a lot mm-hmm. of people that try to do processes like that and can't execute on it because it takes a whole lot of accountability and follow-up to make sure that those numbers are right. So they were doing a good job, but it was manual and it took four hours at least each night plus the hour that it took that other operator to put it all together. So, so you're talking about five hours a day, yeah, times, yeah. you know, however many working hours a week. So it was an incredible amount of hours. And then it was, it was often wrong because human error. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I got a wild hair and I went to the owner and I said, look, I, I want to make this automated. This is ridiculous. So we're doing it this way. And he was like, no, I'm not going to give you any resources. You can't do that. I don't believe that you can do that. You don't have the skill set. I was like, sure. Yeah. I, okay. So I just went and did it on my own. Like at night, I, I called a buddy of mine that I went to college with and at the time, he was working for a data company, just basically doing what I was asking us to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. And I, all the time, I'm like researching all this stuff too, because like there's dental intel out there and there's there's a few others, but I researched probably three or four and I found out that bad data in, bad data out, and to get access to that back, that back end of Dentrix was very expensive. And I don't remember the exact dollar amount, but I already didn't have any funding approval to do what I was trying to do. Yeah. And so I'm trying to stand up on this manual SQL backend. So what I did initially was I took this spreadsheet, put it into one protected spreadsheet, and then had an auto pull from the spreadsheet into this database. So all I really did initially was remove that last hour of the combination from that other operator. And, you know, but I worked and I was mm-hmm. like, huh, this is, this can be powerful, but I'm not going to, I don't have the means. We didn't have the means that this is company. We weren't profitable enough to go pay the amount of money needed to get onto the back end of denture. Yeah. So I started to research open dental was the first one that, because everybody researches open dental. Yeah. They start there because it's free, right? You have access to everything. You have access to all the tables. It's not an API. It's all the back end. So we just did like a demo account in this back end of open dental and but I don't, I'm no longer employed by them. I, I ended up growing this big enough to contract with them and move on. So, oh, so what so is I've it exactly like, if you don't mind me asking, the, you're doing right now? So I own two practices with a partner, a doctor that's a partner. In Utah, the laws don't make you, you don't have to be a clinician to own. It's one of like three states in the U.S. But we're set up as a DSO so I can own a portion of a DSO that owns practices. So we are set up legally for me to own in other states as well. But right now we just have two practices. And then I also own a company called Full Schedule, which is I'm in strategic partnership with eAssist. I'm not a partner of eAssist, so mm-hmm. I have to make that very clear. We're a separate company. But I am in a strategic partnership with eAssist, the dental billing company. And we essentially, some of their clients, I own a company that has employees that call and fill their schedule, essentially. So instead of doing that automated, faceless, nameless kind of process with like the weaves of the world and whoever else we have, we put a face and a name to it, set targets to it and help them get treatment and hygiene scheduled. And then, you know, we charge per office for that. So is it more like that part, full schedule? Is it more like front office services in the sense of like, hey, I only have one front office right now. I need yeah. someone to answer phones and take care of stuff whenever that person's we, doing other things. Not yet. It is on the roadmap to have an answering service. 
so right now we just are filling schedules. So it's basically like we've two years in, our recare list is miles long, but for whatever reason, we're never full and our treatment is still out there and it's not getting closed. So I employ only currently, I would say stateside, so that we have experience and we have hygienists that have been doing this for years and years, scheduling appointments, know what clinically they need to be doing all of these. So we have about 30 offices right now that we essentially, we just find out what they want to do, what they want scheduled, how they want it scheduled, which operatories they want it scheduled in, what their treatment times are that they want scheduled. And then we follow those standard operating procedures for that office and we fill the needs of that office, eventually, you know, fill the schedule. If we don't reach our commitments to the office, we reduce our price per each schedule not fulfilled to our commitment. Yeah. Okay, man. That sounds so, legit. Because that is a humongous need, right? As far as when it comes to front office and answering services and things like that. So yeah. that'd be really good. Real quick, Brad, if we can rewind a little bit. You mentioned that you worked for Verizon and that they had a great leadership program. Yeah. What to you, I guess, made it great and what takeaways from that program would you recommend someone in a dental practice or dental practice owner utilize? It's a good question. I think anytime you have a program at all, no matter how good the curriculum is or anything else, it's dependent on the people that are in it. I was lucky. I, I had some of the, in my opinion, and granted, it's my humble opinion, I had some of the best leaders even in Verizon. I had a, the president of my region that I was in, oh, Andres Irlando. He was Forbes top 40 under 40. Just mm. a amazing guy. He's running another tech company now. Then I had a couple of other really, some of the smartest men that I've ever met. I think that Fortune 5 companies draw those kinds of people. And then I had another guy named DJ Leckwold and another guy named Shane Schwab. And these guys were just very focused on, you know, personal growth and leadership, what that actually looks like and how to communicate with your teams around performance, cadence and meetings, large workload organization, which was very challenging for me. And that's what I would probably say Verizon had is, and what these leaders did is Verizon has a ton of resources. They have classes going on around the country all the time. They either run even by teams of Microsoft employees to teach you how to use Microsoft more effectively. They have time management trainings. They have communication trainings, you know, trainings based on books like Crucial Conversations. And they have all of these trainings going on and what these leaders allowed their team to do. And a lot of leaders wouldn't because it would affect budgets. They don't understand the uh, return on investment that you're receiving, but they would allow us to fly around the country all over. I remember flying to you know Massachusetts from Arizona so that I could take a time management class from Microsoft. And they're not mm. cheap, but I still use a large majority of those practices today or I wouldn't be able to do what I do. And then on top of that, you know, obviously they modeled what a leader, what a leader should do, what a leader should look like. So that's probably what I would say I, I got out of Verizon is really good leader. Gotcha. But how are you implementing that into the practice? Or how would you, if you were to tell me like, this is what you got to do, Mike, for your practice? Around leadership specifically? Yeah. I think there's a, an appropriate priority level for leadership and leadership development. If you're an individual practice owner, your practice practices where there's this harsh separation between front hygiene and clinical, right? And your practice will never be successful if you're not running like you have a true leader to follow and that leader is engaged and helping the entire team be successful. And not just the team being engaged to make the practice successful, but also that they need to feel like you're helping them be successful, whether that's in, you know, their goals and where they're headed or in their skill sets in the practice. But you have to be engaged and know what your employees want and what they're trying to do every single day and help them get their goals. And if you do that, they'll give it back to you and 
help you be successful and be happy working for you. And that's, I think, a lot of what leadership really is, especially on an individual practice level. From there, I mean, if you're going to go larger than that, then it, it comes to having a, an actual training process from soup to nuts. So from beginning to end, when you bring people on, you can't just assume they know exactly what you're going to talk about. And if you don't have a defined training process, there's no way everybody's going to have that same training experience and everybody's going to deliver a different product to every patient that comes in. And, and that creates uncontrollables that then create to lower performance. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of mm-hmm. the difference between private and as you grow. I think private is you could really just be a leader by being engaged with your team and helping them be successful in who they are. And then outside of that, you've really got to start formalizing and structuring a training program, do a you, leadership training and development program. Do you have one of those for your both of your practices? I've only left Abundant. I think I've been outside of Abundant for three months. We just bought our second practice in August. So do I have one? No. And have I felt the pain of not having one? Yes. Did I build one at Abundant? I did. We had a very robust training program with videos and tests and the onboarding processes. And I led that initiative and, and built that whole platform. And I also built a, like a knowledge-based platform so that with yeah. the, after the training, they could go back and reference it. So I desperately need one here. I just, as I'm sure many of your listeners know, when you buy that second practice, you're first standing it up, making sure everybody's reducing turnover and, you know, keeping production as high as you can through that transition. Yeah. And we'll dive into that right now. But when it comes to the robust training, if you can, Brad, could you make us one right now? Meaning like this is what from beginning the steps you should be in initializing, you know what I mean? Like the, I guess more like the title headline and then the headings and that's it. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Like how should it look? I mean, that's a pretty tough question because it depends on the position you're coming into, right? Could you give us like front office? Yeah. So like front desk? Yeah. Sure. And also this depends on your structure too, because different people have front desk do different things, but it starts with dental knowledge. You have to have a foundation in dental knowledge. And and normally when front desk, when you're hiring front desk because of the, the wages that they're in, they really don't have foundational knowledge. And I'm talking like teeth numbers and surfaces and procedures and really just the basics because people are going to be talking to them about that stuff and they can't be just caught blindly in the headlights there. And from there, it would probably be to like foundational, again, very basic knowledge of insurances and those sorts of things. So really just foundational knowledge between clinical and insurances, if you're taking insurances, I should say. They should know all the insurances that you take. They should know all the um, lease networks that you take and how to check to see if they're in that lease network so that they can answer those questions appropriately. And then the third foundational piece for their job should be a complete understanding of the system they're using. So the PRM, that'd probably be the first three foundational things. And then I would move very quickly to, and I'm talking probably before they even have face-to-face interactions, they need to have those three things locked in and tested, or you're going to be, every interaction that they have, you're going to be deteriorating the integrity of your, of the perception of your business, right? And then even before, again, still before the first face-to-face interaction, you should set some very clear expectations on communication to patients, uh, how to answer the phone, empower them to solve problems without passing the buck all the way till the end, even if they're going to make mistakes doing it. And that takes some training too. We, we made a lot of videos in abundance, specifically how to answer questions when people say, I can't believe I have a $300 bill. And we say, you know, you very quickly say, I'm sorry that you're unaware of this bill. How can I help today? And then if they say any anger at all, then it's okay, no problem. We'll take care of that for you. 
that's under 500 bucks, doesn't matter. We'll take care of it for you because the value of a patient is way more valuable than the $500 that they didn't know about that you're trying to wrangle out of their hands. So anyway, so those, that's probably the foundational training for them. And then it gets into more, I'd say more detailed, actually, you know, doing insurance coordination and entering that into the systems. And you're getting more into the details of making sure patients are set up for success while they're there, how to check co-pays and how to collect money at the front, things like that. So that's good, man. This is a good like process. And you mentioned something, a lot of great stuff. But one thing you mentioned is you empower the team to handle problems on their own. It's super huge. So how do you do that? Like, how do we, do we just provide them like with scripts of like, what if scenarios or? That's not empowerment enough. You can't script everything. It's (laughs) literally, hey, I want you to take care of the patients any way you can. Anything that you think is right probably is. Treat them how you'd want to be treated. If you go outside of the bounds, then we'll have a discussion, but you won't be in trouble. And then it's really, you know, you got to hire well. You give them that, let them go. You can't micromanage true patient care. You really can't mm-hmm. because every patient is going to be different. And so you've got to have the right front desk person with the right kind of empathy and communication skills to be able to make a lot of those decisions on their own. And yeah, I mean, there's absolutely times where like, hey, you probably shouldn't have given that $500 credit because they actually did owe that. But at the end of the day, if they did a very good job and that patient stayed, it's worth more than 500 bucks. So again, it's, I guess, continual coaching. So that would be empowerment to me is you say, yeah, go do it. You set very loose boundaries. Like if it goes over 500 bucks, come grab us. But anything else, you have full autonomy. Just let us know when you're done and we'll talk about it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So like uh, having almost like full confidence in them to... Yeah, you made a mistake. And then almost to the point where it's like, let's just talk about the mistake. That way they're like, okay, it's cool to make mistakes. I mean, not huge ones, but I'll learn from them. You know what I mean? I mean, there's been big ones, man, but I I still think it's more valuable for someone to have that empowerment and make one big mistake, but have corrected 20 mistakes that the patient was feeling. And maybe we got one big mistake where they went out of bounds, you know, and they shouldn't have done that. You're still saving those other 20 patients through empowerment. And then you do that correction and And that is the attitude you take. Like, we love mistakes. You learn from it. That's great. I love that you did that. I like that, man. That's really good. That's what empowerment is to me. Okay. And have you ever gotten, like, pushback from... So you mentioned something about a PRM, right? So have you ever gotten people like, hey, man, we've been using Open Dental or PracticeWorks or EagleSoft for, like, ever. I know it like the back of my hand. Like, don't be switching it. What happens? And yes, I mean, every practice that I've been a part of acquiring and switched off of all the mainstream archaic PRMs that are out there, clinicians especially, they, they all have just challenges with that change. And change is hard. Doesn't matter what it is, change is hard. So I get it. And let me tell you the things that we can do after we make this change and, and why you're going to like this better. I mean, I think we mentioned it, but I use Oryx and all the practices that I've managed and that I own. I think that's the thing. As long as you are open about the challenges that are coming and then understanding about the challenges that those people are going to be facing through the change, And then also you can express and make sense logically as to why the change is needed. Then most of the time you can get through those transitions relatively easy. We started really early with Oryx and it's uh, a thousand times more robust than when we really, when we very first started. Those first, you know, few months while I was learning and trying to teach it, I had to be the brand advocate and then I had to get one by one by one, these other brand advocates basically to say, no, this is the the PRM that we want to use. And here's why. 
And and yeah. with that, one by one by one, it just kind of starts to spread. And now, I mean, I still go back and ask, like, hey, if you had a chance, there's still hiccups in every PRM, but also in Oryx. And occasionally we get a hiccup and they submit to their help team and, and you say, hey, would you switch? Like, even after this, would you switch? And every answer resoundingly every time, they'd never go back. Hmm. There's no way to go back to a server-based archaic BRM like that. There just yeah. isn't. Why did you decide to go with Oryx? So I was kind of getting into that before I stopped, but it was that whole automated reporting thing. It started with Open Dental, and we spent a lot of money training on Open Dental on a single office. We switched one office over to Open Dental. It was on an it was on an acquisition that we so it was a new acquisition that we were doing at Abundant, and decided rather than you know just paying for a year of because Dentrix charges you a year up front for your, that practice, you have to resign a contract. Rather than doing that, we we're just like let's just try Open Dental, see what happens. Super painful transition. They had good support. Open Dental was good support, but just a painful transition. The conversion was rough. Everything was pretty rough. Training, everything was pretty rough. Posting was rough. Everything was rough. It was just new to me. And it was and I'm the one training, so I'm trying to learn it and train it. And they had good support and all of that. And then we we actually stood up automated reporting. So we pulled their back end just straight out of their database and dumped it into a SQL database and started running automated reports. And then I showed the owner and he was like, I want more of this. I want all of this. I want everything you can do with this. And so he was just fully bought in, like, when are we switching to open dental? So I started doing test conversions at all the other practices we had. And at that point, I think we had seven. So I started doing these test conversions at open dental. I've got a lot of experience in conversions now. And I wouldn't have done it the same way that I was doing it in that first office. But anyway, so I, I had probably four test conversions done. I was about to pull the trigger and I had a buddy call me from Texas, from PDS, a, a doctor buddy of mine. He had just got back from Kois Institute. Mm-hmm. And he's like, just talk to me about his great experience at Kois and comprehensive dentistry and, you know, his plan to make his practice just pop and, it was so exciting. He's a very engaging guy, just an exciting guy to talk to. So I'm like, that's rad, man. What else? What else did you learn? Tell me everything. And he's like, hey, man, there's a software that he talked about at the end. And it looked amazing. Have you ever heard of it? Oh, man, I've been I've been researching and I, I researched everything like Curve, Open Dental, EagleSoft, Dentrix, mm-hmm. Dentrix Ascend, uh, Dentrix Enterprise. You name it, I probably have done a test conversion during that time period for it. And I was still going with Open Dental. After all of that, I was like, no, man, I haven't heard of it, but man, I just don't see how anything, this is, this has got to be the one I've looked at every other one. He's like, dude, just check it out. I called him up and yeah, I was blown away. Like it's simple. It's intuitive. And this again was, this was four years ago. So it was much less robust than it is now. I don't know how to explain that any other way, but it did not have all the features it has now. And so anyway, I, it was really frustrating, but I remember calling the owner and I was like, Hey, look, I, I hate more than anybody that I'm making this phone call right now. <laughs> like I've put months into this. I've put nights, evenings, weekends, just to even stand up our one office and open dental. But we got to do work. <laughs> and he was like, no. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, all right, well, you, and we, the Abundant was a comprehensive dental model, which kind of very closely aligned, like Oryx and our model very closely aligned. Like I understand, like I said, I hate this too, but you, just get on the phone. I'll get Rania on the phone. Rania and, and our owner got on the phone and kind of talked through. They actually knew each other, which was no. a small world. Yeah. But yeah, it was very, he eventually got, so he saw it and he was like, oh, it could work. So we, you know, we decided to make the switch for all of them. So we switched all seven of our practices over to Oryx. Nice, man. That's good. And right now, are you going to transition to Oryx too with your two practices or are they I, already? I do, it on, I do it on day one. Yeah. One. I don't take over a practice without. Yeah, I've got so many systems built through this now that it just has to be done. Like rather than 
trying to figure out how to remote in to a server with RDPs and then manually track things. I, I already have pre-written programs that pull from Oryx's APIs. And so I, I switch an office over day one and get API access and we're off to the races. So Man, all right. Good stuff, man. So Oryx is the winner for you then. That's what you like. Oh, by far. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I would just, for anybody that's out there looking like, I am an Orange fanboy, so I'll get that out of the way. But at the very least, like, just stay away from server-based platforms. It creates complication and expense you just don't need. Just don't need it. You have to pay an IT team. Any break that you have, like, I, I have an IT degree, and it takes me hours to figure out these complicated setups. So no, it's just yeah. not. Yeah, I would say stay away from those. Go online. Oryx is a great Cloud one. Base, yeah. Got you, man. Awesome, awesome. So then I know you've been talking a lot about data and metrics. And I feel like yeah. that's that's your thing, right? So it is, yeah. If you were telling me right now, I'm telling you, like, hey man, I can't, I'm struggling. And struggling in the sense of like sometimes new patients are good. You know what I mean? I, it yeah. looks like I'm growing, but my bottom line's also growing and all these things. What data or metrics would you say, hey, these are the top metrics you yeah, need to hyper focus on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So these this is what I, and this is a correlation I learned through my extensive training. Top three most correlated metrics to practice profitability. There's actually more. We, we talk about five or six. I'll give you the top three and then we can all expand a little more. But top three, number one is is actually continuing care growth year over year. And it's super interesting because it tells you so many things. But continuing care growth year over year is always the first place I focus. And the easiest way to start that increase, because you can't, obviously that's, you're waiting a year to see if, so it's a very lag metric. It's, you look at it after the fact. So you've got to do something up front and track a metric to make sure that you are even approaching that attainable year over year growth. And the quickest one for that is just reappointment rate. Am I reappointing them while they're in the practice? And if you're not anywhere between 85 and 95%, then you're actually deteriorating your practice growth year over year. And every practice that I've ever gone to is like, oh, we're killing that. We always reappoint our, then you go look at, they're always at 60 to 65%. I'm telling you, everybody right now on the things on your podcast is going to be saying, no, dude, we're, we're at 80% easy. If they had a number that actually pulled the data, I guarantee between 65 and 70, 60 to 70. Yeah. It's and that causes there. it to, that causes oh, it yeah. to go yeah, down. Decrease. There's, and there's statistics and, and I don't want to butcher them, but there's a, essentially, there's a certain percent of recare patients that return and a certain percentage of new patients that return. And so if you're below 30 new patients a month, which majority of practices are, I mean, both of these practices that we just got are well above that, but a lot of practices are at that 30 to 50 new patient range. If you're at 30 new patients or below, and you're below, I think it's 75% reappointment rate, assuming they're going to come back, then you're going to have an actual deterioration of patients. Unless you have obviously some sort of strategy to then reactivate them, but then you're doing double work on the back end. Rather than yeah. just doing it on the front end while they're in the practice, all of a sudden now you're employing my company full schedule to reappoint your, your patients for you, which then is another added expense, right? Um, mm-hmm. Rather than just doing that job up front and tracking performance of that job, making sure your people are doing it. Gotcha. Okay. So, so care long. growth and then yeah. reappointment. Uh, well, yeah. So really continuing care growth year over year, all that other stuff was just about continuing care growth, but that's where I would focus initially. The second most correlated is doctor days, doctor hours, call it whatever you'd like. It's mm-hmm. a very easy one to think about, but I mean, the less days that you're open, the less money you'll make. And this is to profitability. I'm not talking revenue. So there's a lot of practices that have this super concern of like, we don't have enough patients. I'm not going to open another day. But the statistics show 
that if you open another day, you're going to be more profitable. Even if you think you're not ready yet, you open another day, you're going to be more profitable. And it's just, you'd open it up on Google and you advertise for it. You put marketing out for it. You may be down for a couple of months, but for the year, you will be more profitable. Just open the day and be there and your people will figure out how to fill it. That's number two. Number three is number of indirects. And this is a challenging one because you can't obviously set a quota on your doctors doing number of indirects, but it is just a very highly correlated metric. Doctors that do more indirects make more money. So uh, more indirects. Yeah. Indirect mm-hmm. restorations. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. The first one, reappointment rates, man, that's pretty huge. So like when you come, when it goes to that, the system that you utilize, that Brad utilizes for making sure reappointment rates happen is, hey, right when they're in the practice, we got to get them on the books for the next appointment. Now, what would happen, and I'm sure you've experienced this many times, but like, yeah. you know how people complain, like the no-shows, yeah. right? What do you do for that? So there's going to be no-shows. A good no-show rate is actually 15%, which is still a ton. And that's a good no-show rate, right? Traditionally, I'd say most practices are probably in between 20 and 25%, which is a huge slide. And yes, you need to work your very best to capitalize on bringing those patients back in. That doesn't really... In my metric calculation, it doesn't go into reappointment rate because reappointment rate is if you came, if you did a dollar of production, we count it as a completed appointment and then we check for the next appointment schedule. So we don't count that into reappointment rate, but yeah, we have strategies around and we actually do, you know, heavy confirmation. And then, so if they don't show, we usually know why. And then if they're not there within five minutes, we call them and text them. And then if they're not there all day, we, you know, we reach out to them again and try to reschedule the appointment. But I think most practices do that. That's kind of like the easy, low-hanging fruit. If you're not doing that as a practice, you've missed. That, to me, doesn't even have anything to do with metrics other than understanding your no-show rate, which brings me to my fourth metric, which is a percentage of firm financial arrangements, which is different than what I was taught historically, but in my data now, it has changed. And firm financial arrangements just means collect in full for any appointments you put on the schedule, with the exception of, obviously, like hygiene exams and new patients you can't collect before they're there. But if you're going to put a root canal and a crown on your schedule, have it paid in full before you put it on there. Mm, okay. Is there a specific script you kind of like mentioned when you're like, hey, you got to pay us in full? You know, surprisingly, it's not uh, super challenging. You just say, we do collect in full for our procedures before we put you on the schedule. And then you basically just say, how did you want to pay for that today? And then if they ask questions, you just say, well, our, our doctor's time is valuable. So we really have to make sure that the people are going to show up that say they're going to be here. And usually when people pay, that means they're going to be here. And people really understand it. They're not turned off by it at all. Like if they're really planning on being there, they're going to pay for it anyway. The only thing that we do is if a patient's like, you know, well, I don't get paid till Friday. Can you collect from me on Friday? Then we'll say, yeah. And Norix has a great tool. You just send a text link. So you put a little reminder in in a calendar and then you send them a text link on that day and they pay over that. And if they don't, then you have to pull them off the schedule because you can assume that they're not going to be there if they haven't paid. That's true. That's true. So then these are like the four main metrics we want to keep looking at. What are, in your experience, what are the numbers or, or the data that you notice or you see like in the forums or on Facebook or something where practice owners are talking about it, they're looking at, but in your mind, Brad's mind is like, man, that ain't even that important. Interestingly enough, new patient count, it is important. Don't get me wrong. You have to have a new patient count to grow your business. But there's so many clinicians that come out of school that are, they don't even care your continuing care patient depth. They just care. Like if they're coming on as an associate in your practice, they want to know how many new patients. It's a crazy skewed metric. 70% of practices established over two years, their revenue comes from 
continuing care patients. 70% of the revenue. So 30% of your revenue only comes through patients after two years. So if you're in your first two years, yeah, hit the marketing hard, make sure you're, re- you're doing your reappointment rate. But after that second year, you should be focusing very heavily on your on your exams and what's going on there. Okay, interesting, man. I appreciate that. Awesome. So then, right now, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, what can a dentist do today, practice owner, to improve their marketing or their business? Marketing, honestly... <laughs> Or their business, for, or their business for, in general. I'll give you, I'll give you my basic marketing rundown, and, <laughs> and we're averaging about anywhere from sixty to eighty new patients a month at both of our oh. practices, and it's super basic. And there's plenty of practices out there that can do much more than this. Like Abundant was really approaching a hundred new patients a month, but they spent you know a ton of time on marketing. This is like me in my spare time while I'm also not managing operations and helping you know look for new practices. But this is it's super basic. You need Google Ads. And you need a really high Google score. And that's it. If you have Google ads and a low Google score, you're just torturing yourself. So make sure you have a, a ton of reviews. Make sure as many of them are as five stars. Don't do anything shady. Give them the experience that they want. And if you have those two things in place, patients just find you and they come. And at least that's in my experience. And then mm-hmm. we also have strategies that we're on certain streets with over 20,000 cars passing with high visibility, like obviously those things matter. But outside of that, that and sandwich boards and the new patient special, we don't do much. With your Google ads budget, what's the budget look like for there? 35 in office. We try to stay below one and a half percent of revenue. And really right now we're at like 0.8% of revenue because we just don't need to keep spending it. So 3,500 a month is what we, what we were doing. And then we just never really upped it and we don't really have to. (laughs) Yeah, you're doing pretty good, like 60 new patients and everything like that. So that's really good, man. Awesome. Brad, thank you so much for your time, man. I truly appreciate it. But before we say goodbye, if anybody wanted to reach out to you for questions or anything like that, where can they find you? Man, I got I got a ton of, ton of email addresses. Let's do uh, brad at mountainwest.healthcare. All right. Brad at mountainwest.healthcare, you said? Yep. All right. So that's going to be in the show notes below for anybody who wants to reach out to, to Brad. And Brad, thank you so much for being with us, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks we'll for having me you on. Soon. Talk soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. And Brad, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. We really appreciate you. If you want to reach out to Brad, go in the show notes below. Look for his picture or his photo, or you can look for his name. And then his contact information is below, and you can reach out to him there. Or you can join the Dental Marketer Society Facebook group. It's a free Facebook group for this podcast, and you can uh, chat with him on there too as well, and other listeners and other guests that you've heard on the podcast. But now, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what Brad was talking about. How every dental practice knows that time is of the essence. With administrative duties piling up, you often find less time for the most crucial aspect of your work, just patient care. But that's where Oryx comes in, a master of efficiency. Like you heard Brad say, its advanced features are designed specifically for dental practice. It streamlines administrative tasks like managing patient records, scheduling, and insurance claim processing. Imagine cutting down the hours spent on administrative tasks by half or even more. What does that mean for you? More time to interact with your patients, more time to grow your practice, and ultimately better patient satisfaction and increased revenue. Now, numbers. Mismanaged insurance claims and billing errors can take a toll on your practice financial health. Oryx shines here as well with a comprehensive billing and insurance management system that ensures accuracy and timelines. By reducing the risk of rejected claims and delayed payments, Oryx helps you maintain a steady cash flow and boost your bottom line. You see, the simplicity of Oryx also translates into savings. 
the user-friendly design minimizes the learning curve for you and your team, saving the time and cost associated with training. Your team can hit the ground running and maintain their focus where it belongs on providing excellent dental care. And I'm excited to tell you that you have the ability to experience Oryx for free. Click the first link in the show notes below and schedule a free personalized demo. And get this, Oryx won't charge you a penny until you've reached 200 active patients. That means it's free. Oryx is free until they know you're succeeding. So click the first link in the show notes below to schedule a free personalized demo and to get this limited time offer and go see for yourself how Oryx can bring newfound efficiency and financial savings to your dental practice. And always remember that with Oryx, you're always a step ahead. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will talk to you in the next episode. <laughs>